Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Bible Quest, the Tuesday edition. Uh, I'm your host, Jonathan Sadler. And uh, as we're getting going here, I'll just remind everyone of how you can participate with our show. If you're coming in on the Zoom app, you can leave your comments or questions in either the chat window or the Q&A box, and we'll be looking at those throughout the show. Or if you're on Facebook, you can comment into Scott's Facebook uh, page on the comment window in the live video, uh, and I'll be looking for those comments as well. Um, so let's bring in our panelists, and then we can get started with our discussion today. Uh, we've got our program director, Scott Smelser, with us. How you doing, Scott? I'm doing well. Good to see you. Uh, Justin Dobbs is with us as well. How are you, Justin? Hey, guys. Doing well. Thank God. And Dan Bunting is with us as well. How are you, Dan? Hey, I'm doing all right. Good to see all you guys. Um, so uh, last week we started a discussion. I think we're going to continue on uh, with that discussion. So when do you guys want to give kind of a quick recap of where we left off last week and then get us going in the text? Justin, you've got the summary so well, talking about Jesus, the great teacher. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think you just said it. Um, last time we just talked about uh, Jesus kind of surprising us as the Messiah. Um, I think people of his time would have been looking for a, a military political style leader, uh, someone who's going to lead them into victory. Uh, instead, Jesus leads us into understanding something of the kingdom of heaven. And his teaching is meant to not challenge our oppressors so much as it is to challenge us. Uh, and so he, he challenges our understanding of uh, righteousness. And these parables were meant to help us to unlock that understanding by, by laying one uh, truth down beside another truth. And by comparing these, these two things, usually something we understand uh, with something that we don't understand, like things of earth. Uh, in comparison with things of heaven. And so Jesus is um, both revealing truths and then concealing truths, um, talking to his disciples and those who want to understand, those who have hearts to hear, those who have hearts to understand, uh, and then talking to those who, who don't. And he quotes from Isaiah 6 and Matthew 13. It will be Matthew 13 today. And Isaiah 6, um, in verse 14, says, indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For these people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. So Jesus wants to heal us. He wants to give us understanding, uh, but it, it all hinges on whether we really want to understand. So he talks to us about soils in the parable of the sower, and we get to evaluate what kind of heart we have. Uh, and so we, I think we left off in verse 23 last time, just talking about um, evaluating whether we have the kind of heart who is eager to hear and put into practice what we hear. Um, so parables, lot, lots to discuss, uh, but I think that's where we left off last time. Cool. So, um, so I guess, uh, we can just introduce because Matthew 13 is full of parables. It's one of the parable chapters kind of in the scriptures um, that just has a lot to, to digest and talk about. So I'll just read this next parable starting in verse 24 and we can start breaking down uh, what's going on here in this parable, what Jesus's message is and what he's trying to get across. Uh, so verse 24, Matthew 13 says he put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. 
And so when the plants came up and bore grain, then weeds also appeared. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. And so the servant said to him, Then do you want us to gather them to uh, go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my farm. I think what's interesting about this psalm, or this psalm, this uh, parable, is that right after Jesus explains one, he, he immediately gives us another, and uh, he uses the same imagery, the same kind of person, the same tools and symbols uh, in this new parable, and uh, so that, that, that can give us excitement that we can try to figure this one out. It, it turns out that a while later, uh, uh, in verse 36, the after the crowds have left, the disciples ask him about it, and he does explain it. And so, uh, in a lot of ways, we can use the parable of the sower to learn about parables, um, to, 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 to link up the explanation with the actual symbol in the story. But in this one, um, we get to practice, and then we get to check our answers uh, afterwards to see how well did we do in interpreting this parable. Some of them are really easy and some of them are a little bit complicated. And it's a good thing that I think it's helpful that Jesus explains this one, because if you start making connections between the parable of the sower and the parable of the sower of the weeds, then there's some, some scary or confusing results that you see in there. There's seed in both, right? So the one uh, the, the, the sower sows the good seed in his field, and I think we all have a good understanding about that. But then um, the, the enemy comes in. I think we can kind of guess who the enemy is. There was an enemy in the parable of the sower uh, uh, creating problems. But the instruction that the master gives is kind of an odd or confusing instruction. Uh, and and uh, it, it's helpful that Jesus later on explains um, exactly what the parable means so that we can get a, get a clear understanding of the spiritual lesson. I think it's neat that they're so similar. It encourages us to work on it on our own before we can see the solution that God gives us to the problem. Yeah, I almost want to keep reading here because we, we left off in verse 30. Uh, there's, there's probably more to talk about here through verse 30, but uh, kind of leaves us hanging. Like we want to keep reading because he, he like you said dan he doesn't just stop and say, all right great you got it lessons over for today he keeps layering on lessons he's going to present another parable and then another parable and then they're going to come in verse 36 and say wait a second can you explain this to us um which is part of the point is is jesus is unlocking understanding for people who are humble enough to look for truth uh, for someone who says i've got this figured out uh, or that's not very impressive to me they're like the hard-hearted uh, wayside soil uh, we, we've got to be people who keep keep coming back to Jesus and looking for answers. He's got them. He wants us to understand. He's not just some uh, mystic teacher who says something that sounds rather witty and then leaves it to us to understand what does it mean to you. He, he's got a point to make, and he really wants us to get it. He is patient. He's gentle. He's compassionate in his teaching. What were you going to say, Jonathan? Yeah, and also in, in this section of parables, so you mentioned that he tells this parable and then he'll tell two more very short parables and then give an explanation when he's requested 
uh, for the, the parable about the weeds. Um, but this is the this kind of opening up section where Jesus verbally is starting off each parable by saying, this is about the kingdom of heaven. So like, like here's a story that represents a truth about the kingdom of heaven. And he'll do that a number of times uh, here in the rest. Really, I think the rest of the parables in Matthew 13, he'll start off by saying, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like, and then tell the story. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Do you guys want to read the, the next couple par uh, parables that Jesus tells, or do you want to skip down to the explanation of the parable of the weeds? Well, <laughs> to the uh, explanation, and then we'll come back up to these others. And, and even before the explanation, um, the, the fact that it's mentioned that this is what the kingdom of heaven is like, that's where it's really good that we have the explanation. Oh, I know how to do a parable now. Jesus taught me how to interpret par parables. All right, so this is about the kingdom, and there's an enemy in it. And the enemy causes all sorts of problems in God's kingdom. I don't know what this parable is talking about. Like it, it immediately, you get yourself in the situation of going, wait, I think I know how these work, but this sounds terrible. <laughs> and, and so this is, it's really helpful that Jesus explains this one. Uh, maybe that's why this is the one they ask about and they don't ask questions about the parables in 31 through 33, because they're a little bit easier to understand. Which I'll just say, before we read the explanation, uh, within the parable, uh, there are people who are asking questions. Uh, with, within the story itself, there are servants who go to the master saying, we don't understand. I thought this was good. Uh, and there, so there are probably people in Jesus' audience who are asking these questions. And so we're asking those questions. We're in good company uh, when we're asking questions of the master. Scott, you want me to read uh, 36 uh, or yeah, 36 through uh, 43? Super. All right. Uh, then he left the crowds and went to the house. And his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. The reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, and the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. It was really kind of easy how Jesus approaches the explanation of this one. He starts off with a checklist where he's like, this equals this, this equals this, this equals this, this equals this. So he answers a lot of the questions of like, you don't have to do any guessing of what each thing represents. So the, the master is the son of man, which would be Jesus. Um, the field is the world that we live in. The good seed are the sons of the kingdom, Christians, followers of the master, uh, you know, saints, any other of those synonyms that you can think of. Uh, the weeds are wicked people, evil ones, and the enemy that's sowing the weeds is Satan. The harvest time is the end of the world, the end of the age or judgment day, and the reapers are the angels. So there's an interesting kind of thing that Jesus doesn't explain in the parable because he, he uh, when he's explaining uh, afterwards, he doesn't explain, like, why is there the instruction that's given when the angels ask the master, should we go out and take care of this problem right now? But the master says, no, wait. Um, Jesus doesn't give any explanation about like why that is or what that represents uh, or anything like that here in verse 36 through 43. So I don't know, does that make sense? What do you guys think about that? Like, why is it that if 
the good seed represents Christians and the bad seed represents the enemies, wickedness, wicked people. And the angels want to solve the problem. Why does Jesus say, no, wait? I don't, um, in the first version of the parable, uh, the, the earthly level, it was no, because while you're pulling out the tares, you might accidentally pull up the wheat also, which I don't think needs to be milked for a whole lot of meaning. Sometimes you can squeeze a parable too hard, and it's like, I, I like grapefruit, you know, I like to squeeze out the juice, but sometimes I've squeezed too hard, and you just get bitterness from the rind. Um, I don't think God's worried about, you know, the angels might make a mistake or, or, or something and get the wrong guy. Some guy ends up in the wrong department. Um, but it's interesting to think about why it's this way. And I'd like to make a couple comments on that. First, um, how many times have you studied with somebody and they're either losing their faith or they have not come to faith? And the reason is not an academic reason, it's an emotional reason or a philosophical reason. Why would a good God allow so much suffering? Have we all run into that? Yes. Now, what are we saying oftentimes when we're doing that? Some suffering is, you know, like a terrible disease or something like that, but a lot of suffering is a result of sin specific directly result you know a drunk driver you know kills a mom and her three children um uh somebody kidnaps and murders you know somebody and we think why 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 did god let that happen and why does he allow these evil people to do these things partly what we're wanting is god to intervene and stop the really bad guys, right? And so we'd be pleased if God would just take out the bad guys. Because, you know, I like spring, I like summer, I like fall. And then after a while, I like <laughs> spring again, summer and fall. There's lots of nice things down here, but bad people mess it up, right? And so would most people kind of be okay if God took out the tares? You know, take out the drug drivers, take out the pedophiles, take out the, get all the bad guys out, and then it would be a nice place, we think, right? Mm -hmm. What's the problem with that? What's the problem with that? Well, Romans 1 through 3 kind of speaks yeah. to that kind of, idea of you know you think you're so much better than all of the other people but all of sin and fall short of the glory of god and so if you want to yeah. take all of the wickedness out of the world you're including a little bit of yourself exactly exactly so we're also assuming that that god doesn't have um a, a good goal to achieve by leaving wicked people around uh romans 8 is going to go on to talk about how suffering is actually good for us suffering suffering can be good for us and, and our line of where we separate between the good guys and the bad guys is always between us and the bad, the really bad guys, right? Like those are bad guys. Kind of like in um, Amos, when they're saying, and Amos tells me, said, woe to you that are saying, where's the day of the Lord? 
it's it's coming <laughs> you're not gonna like it because it's not just cleaning out those bad guys it's going to take you out and so without the blood of christ uh without turning away from our sin and repentance and without being forgiven and cleansed and redeemed by the blood of christ so that we're clean of those things whereby we used to be enemies for all the bad guys see i'm responsible for some of the suffering in this world you're responsible for some of the suffering in this world and god is not you know taking us out when we're you know past what we're willing to tolerate he, he lets us grow together. But then at the end, there is going to be a separation. And that's one of the emphasis in some of these parables. We'll get to the parable of the net in a minute. And it's separating, separating, separating. So we need to be prepared. Realize we're living in a world where there will be good and evil together. But realize the Bible teaches clearly that there will be separation. Something on, on that. Uh, I think part of what I've not appreciated until recently is is how shocking these parables would have been to a community who is looking for the kingdom and expecting uh, immediate victory, uh, success that was beyond question. And in this first parable, uh, one in four soils is productive. Well, you know, three out of four soils uh, waste the seed. And so, how is it that the kingdom of heaven is is going to lose? So apparently, uh, and so then this other parable comes along and the servants are questioning what looks like failure. Uh, Master, I thought this was a good seed. I, I thought the kingdom was going to be successful. And, and so Jesus's earliest disciples and we too are going to have to wrestle with a world that certainly doesn't look like it's being ruled by a good, kind, just God. Sometimes there's evil in the world. And what do we do about that? Uh, you trust the master. You trust that he knows what he's doing. And you trust that in the end, he's going to make things right and give judgment. Um, the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. So I think for Jesus's earliest disciples, this is going to reshape what they think the kingdom is with this kind of Messiah. And for us too, because we we hear today, if you just follow Jesus, then everything will fall into place. If you'll follow Jesus, then your life will be you know set in order. And in some ways, yes. But uh, to think that suddenly life is going to be easier because we follow Jesus, we're sadly mistaken. Uh, to think that you know, you're going to get the job of your dreams and the wife of your dreams, and the kids are all going to be healthy and never suffer evil again. That's just, that's not what the kingdom is. There are going to be weeds everywhere and the evil one is working. Uh, what kind of kingdom is this? Uh, it, it's different than what we thought it would be. Jonathan? Yeah, and I hadn't thought about before, because it's always been kind of curious to me that um, those two parables that we haven't read yet are kind of stuck in the middle of this. And maybe that's one of the reasons why, because when you're starting to hear the parable of the of the four soils, you hear about the weeds, it's like, wow, this is this is a losing kingdom. <laughs> the kingdom of God is, is a failure, it sounds like, um, or at least that could be one of the thoughts. But then you've got those two parables in the middle that explain, well, no, that's that there's another kind of attribute of the kingdom that you're not recognizing that even though it appears like it's losing or that it's small, it's going to grow and be really victorious. So, uh, so maybe that's one of the reasons why those are put in that specific spot and that, that chronology there, but interesting. Scott. 
I'm going to let my attention deficit disorder kick in here and point out uh, if you will look at Jonathan's picture over his right shoulder, you will see the dog Toke. And over his left shoulder, you will see Robert Turner's book, Plain Talk About God's Church. Excellent, excellent, excellent book. That's all. Go ahead. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I think, I think I'll make a crack about the the Louisville and uh, apparent losers or something like that. <laughs> hey, wow! You guys need to take it easy. <laughs> so uh, I have a question about this um, because I think with this parable, there there probably even though Jesus explains this parable, and Dan, you pointed out that we're so glad that Jesus explains it. Uh, because some of these parables are challenging. You know, they're simple stories. Kids get them, um, but they can be really challenging for us. Uh, I've heard kind of two primary uh, um, interpretations that one, we're dealing with uh, the church and people who don't look like, uh, or they look like Christians, but, you know, like just like the the tears, the, the Darnell, I think is what it's called. I mean, I, I've looked up pictures on Google, and for those who are listening, you can look that up on Google, and they look a lot like wheat. I mean, it just looks very, very similar until they start to produce seed. Uh, you'll know them by their fruits. Uh, so some have suggested that this is kind of describing the church, and so maybe these are people who look like Christians but really aren't Christians, and at the end of all things, God's going to separate them out. Um, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. Uh, the other explanation, I think, fits better with what Jesus is describing, where this is not the church, but this is the world. And this is how God's people deal with living in a world with, with people. Do you have any, any thoughts, any one of you guys, uh, about um, the distinction between these views and maybe why one view might be better than the other? I'd be inclined to the second one. I mean, he does say, um, when he started that off, the kingdom is like, and so we might think, so it's the kingdom. And it, there is the wording in there where it says, where is it? Um, Verse 41. Yeah, thank you. Um, gather out of his kingdom. So I can see why somebody would say this out of the church, church and kingdom often used synonymously. But I, I'm inclined to agree with the second view that this is, this is God's realm here. And the important thing is the kingdom of Christ in it. But in and amidst, like back in Psalm 110, uh, sit at my right hand and rule in the midst of enemies. God's kingdom is not a thousand year reign on earth after all the bad guys are gone. There's, there's bad guys around. There, 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 there's opponents. Um, and then when those are removed, then verse 43, then the righteous will shine forth as the sun of the kingdom. And one other comment on that briefly. Uh, I remember reading one time uh, some denominational literature uh, using this parable to say that churches should not discipline people. Uh, like say in 1 Corinthians 5, when the incestuous man is to be cast out or when the lazy bums in Thessalonica what take care of themselves that they're no that 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 that's not a violation of this text this is the angel saying do you want us to go down there and take these out no 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 let both grow together until the harvest and and that's at the end of the judgment day in the meantime the church has responsibility 
not to judge according to appearance, Gospel of John, but to judge righteously and deal with them with Go ahead, Dan. Yep, and and I I end up um, not that not that last point you made. I, I agree with you there for sure. This is this doesn't speak to um, what you know instructions at churches and and really what what Christians have been have received from the apostles about what we need to do and from Christ what we need to do when we have brothers and sisters who are just walking in a mess. Um, but I tend to think that this parable speaks more to um, uh, the, the kingdom and those who are claiming and those who we, those who we see to be a part of the kingdom, whether we see accurately or not. I think that verse uh, 38 speaks against my argument. Um, he, it's sown in the world. And so that kind of, um, I think, actually adds to what you were saying there, Scott, and goes against what I think about it. But I, I see this as as especially since he's speaking to what's the kingdom going to be like in so many different um, parables in this section, it's going to be like this and it's going to have messes in it. And I think that that's probably the shocking part of this parable that even though the kingdom here, as we can see it, uh, as well as we can see it here on earth, um, it's going to have problems. Not that God's kingdom has problems or there's a problem with God, but as it is here, either I'm imperfect and trying to do my best, or maybe I'm a, a scoundrel and I am uh, a wolf wearing sheep's clothing and, and I am, I am uh, creating all sorts of trouble. Um, to all appearances, I would be uh, with you and, and, and with this kingdom and as best as sometimes as we can tell. Um, I don't want to say that, uh, to, to lean too heavily on that, because I, I do think it's speaking in broad generalities. I don't think it, I don't like saying this is about the church, because um, to me that seems to really limit it down. I, I like to say this is about the kingdom, and it well expresses the effect of uh, the seed in the whole world, but in particular the seed growing with those who are trying to grow well, uh, with, with problems growing up fr uh, from within. And so I, I usually lean toward the the first interpretation, but this, this there's I don't think there's a problem with the second one. And like in Revelation two and three, you can see from church to church, you know, some are healthy, some are a mess, and got lots of tears in them. They got a lot of weeds, and I think we uh, do ourselves a disservice to say, well, they are not a part of the church. Well, yeah, they are. They're there. <laughs> and they might not be connected to God, but they're still a part of my life and causing a, a big problem to me. <laughs> or, you know, if, if I'm the problem, I'll make myself the trouble here. And I'm still showing up doing the show with you guys. <laughs> uh, I'm very much a part of this show, even if I am a problem. Uh, yeah. and, and so we need to be really careful at, at just saying, well, that's that's not a part. Yeah, well, when they show up, they're there. And that's a big trouble that needs to be dealt with. And then some passages that come to mind, helping those people that Amen. can help and casting out those who won't. And just to illustrate that, you remember the passage in Thessalonians, you know, I don't remember all the adjectives and uh, descriptions, but it's like what admonish the disorderly, support the weak, uh, be patient, the faint -hearted. Faint hearted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So different people need different things. But then you've got just the unrepentant, like in Matthew 18, 15, your brother's sin against you, and you go to gain your brother, but he won't listen. So you take one or two other brothers, and I won't listen to them. 
You appreciate it at the church. I don't care what the church says. Well, this is not somebody that needs to be encouraged. Uh, <laughs> and, and this is, he, he needs to understand this is not accepted. You're betraying the, the commitment you made to Christ. And again, Second Thessalonians 3 uh, and those other passages. So like back to the letters of the, uh, to the churches in Revelation 2 and 3. Philadelphia is doing great. I think it was, was it Smyrna was doing, Smyrna was doing great. But then like in Thyatira, some people are doing well. These people he's really upset with. And he says, but the rest of you, he says, the, other than the problem that you're tolerating Jezebel, I have nothing else against you. But they should not have been tolerating Jezebel. Good points. And uh, those are interesting. I was just going to say those are interesting distinctions, um, trying to determine how best to apply this parable. Um, but I think one of the things we see, and this is something that Jonathan pointed out, is the way Jesus tells this parable with the, the next two helps us to see a commonality. Uh, if, if parable means to lay beside, you're taking two things and putting them side by side so we see the comparisons and learn a lesson there, uh, then he takes parables and parabolizes those parables by laying them down beside other parables. Uh, and so we're, we're cross comparing parables now, and that helps us maybe to unlock uh, a major point further in verses 31 through 33, where you've got the kingdom of heaven being like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field, uh, the smallest of all seeds, but when it's grown, it's larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree. So the birds of the air come and make nests and branches. He told them another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour Till all was leavened. And again, you think this is just kind of farmer's almanac teaching, you know, this doesn't, <laughs> how is this very spiritual? Um, but it seems like one of the, the things that comes out is you've got uh, what looks like apparent failure, but there's ultimate success, even glory. Um, unless you're familiar with how sourdough works, somebody takes a slimy knot of dough and mixes it in with the rest of the dough, you're thinking, a lot of good that did. That didn't do anything. But then you come in the next day and it's doubled in size. Wow. Okay. Um, or the, the servants that question the master about the seed. That This is a parent failure. No, it's not a failure. Or the mustard seed. Uh, th there is ultimate success in the kingdom, even if it looks messy. And so to Dan's point, I'm not sure. I, I tend to think more the second view with the weeds and the tares that uh, this is the world at large and Christians are dealing with wickedness, but either way, um, you'd think the kingdom of heaven, it would just be success after success after sex, success, but it might not be. Um, it might not look that way, but ultimately it will be. Let's jump uh, back up to that. Uh, you, you, you referenced there, Justin, back in 31 through 33. Let's jump back up to those now. The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed, which man took, sowed in his field, Indeed, less than all seed, but when it's grown, it's greater than the herbs, becomes a tree, birds of heaven come in lots and branches. Another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which one took hidden three measures till it was all leaven. Uh, so uh, what, what are some striking, just uh, briefly, what are some striking points from this couplet of parables? Well, the similarities... Oh, I'm sorry, Jonathan, I stepped on your toes. The, 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 the quick similarities, um, what seems so small, possibly insignificant, grows. Yeah. Much, it doesn't double 
it it grows exponentially is, is the image yeah yeah and that's and that's like i think that's a really important point for people to understand about the kingdom of god and one of the things that will constantly be a kind of sub theme in jesus's teaching that what you expect something is is not necessarily how it is um and what something looks like doesn't necessarily mean that's what it is um and, and just that that kind of thing of look deeper strive to understand deeper of those kinds of things because it is hard sometimes to look at the world and and you get some of like what you brought up scott you get some people that look at the world and start thinking in these big philosophical ways of like how can god be all powerful when the world is a mess uh or or you know those types of questions well this kind of speaks to that a little bit how can the kingdom of god be victorious when it's so small and there's such a small following and it doesn't look like it has that much influence in the world in some points uh, and things like that well small things sometimes do have the greater influence yeah. and that's true about yeah. uh, god's kingdom and sometimes people want to do something big and flashy and showy and declarative and boom and a lot of good gets accomplished by consistency and reliability and just the little things that good people keep doing all along are much more effective than the hypocrite make, trying to make a big flash. And you don't know when people are watching and noticing some tiny little thing that to you is just normal because that's what you should do, but it catches somebody else's eye. And uh, you, you take Diotrephes over in Third John, and you take Prisca or Priscilla. You know who accomplished more for the kingdom. Um, and and there's there's lots of underdogs themes in the Gospel of Luke, uh, and things that other people might not notice that the Lord notices, like the widow and her two mites and different things. And then it just has this effect. And one other interesting thing is how leaven is used both positively and negatively in the New Testament. Here, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven. But when Paul says, you need to cast out the fellow with his father's wife, he said, don't you know that... Little leaven yeah. leavens the leaven. Yeah. So question, is peer pressure good or bad? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <Dan> <laughs> That's right. Um, you saw that coming. Let's put, uh, do you guys want to talk more about that or do you want to try to get in the verse well, 145? Go ahead. I've got a couple just little points about these, these little parables that I think, I think is compelling. Um, there's the similarity that they're, um, small things that grow to be big. So there's that, that, okay. So there, so that is where they are the same. So why bother retelling it? What is the difference? One difference is um, the nature of the bigness, so to speak. Uh, in the first parable, parable, the seed grows to be something so large that the animals that might have eaten the seed can now rest and sit inside the seed, the, the tree. They can rest in it. They can build homes in it. They can provide, uh, provide for themselves and reside in that um, in that tree. And that's a, a really powerful uh, comfort 
uh, about the kingdom. Um, we might stress out about that there's going to be some weeds around, but the reality is that this tree is big enough that anyone can come and be a part of it. And that's a neat image. Uh, in, in the second parable, it isn't as much about the bigness. Uh, uh, sure, when, we, when you leaven the, the, the lump, the whole lump does indeed grow. But the uh, one interesting aspect of it, especially when using the sourdough concept, is that if you put the soured uh, the sourdough in the left corner of the lump of dough, there are no corners to dough, but all of the dough um, gets it, it essentially infected. And so there is a thoroughness. Um, it isn't that the, the, the leaven grows well in one area um, and doesn't grow well in another area. Rather, the, the, whole, the whole world of dough um, gets affected by it. And so it starts small and gets big in two ways, large enough to house and hold anyone and everyone, as well as large enough to affect everyone in, in some way. And every part of everyone, there's not gonna be a, a part of our lives ultimately that is not gonna be impacted by this kingdom. You know, whether we, whether we accept it or reject it. Jesus said one time in the Gospel of John, my word doesn't have recourse in you. And we need to be careful that we don't close off the word. Like kind of like if you got a room in your house that when company comes over, that door stays closed. So no, no. Do that with the word where it's like, okay, you can, Jesus. You're you talking can, about the pretty room in the house, right? There, but, you know, stay away from this area over here. It's not helping. Other comments on that? I, I'm going to suggest, go ahead, Justin. Well, as, as I was, again, I think it's helpful to think about um, the response to the kingdom, uh, how uh, unimpressive this little seed is in 31 and 32. Um, Jesus is just incredibly unimpressive. He, he is the mustard seed. He came into this world and he did not come in as uh, the son of a king, uh, at least one that we would know. Um, he was, and it wasn't like it was a rags to riches story. You know, Jesus didn't uh, leave behind the backwaters of Palestine to, to reside in palaces. Uh, he was born poor and he died poor. Um, but within the body of Christ, within the kingdom, uh, there is this this glory. And so the kingdom is not going to, to if we're doing our job right uh, and presenting the kingdom to people, it's not going to appeal to people who are looking for earthly glory or something impressive. It's going to appeal to the humble who trust in uh, in the power that only God has to turn the small into something great. Yeah. I'm going to suggest that we don't start 44 and 45 because there's some really good stuff to talk about there and we just have a few minutes so we might wind up a little bit early today but before we do that we do have a comment that came in from pj so i'll read it and then we'll discuss that as much as we want to and then wind up pj says the idea of something small being big is interesting uh and first can somebody give a few examples from scripture where something small was big the widow giving two mites. Yeah. And he said she gave more 
than the rich guys throwing in their bags of money. Um, David and Goliath, you know. Um, PJ goes ahead to say, I don't know if this fits, but there are times in life when I feel like good things are happening with work, etc. But there are other times when I feel like the future is not so promising. And there, you know, like work is not always going to be promising. James uh, or that we studied recently said, don't say, I will go to this city, spend one year there and make money. You don't know what's going to happen. Say, Lord willing, you know, that type of thing. But let's just emphasize this also. I mean, we, we all, you ever have a day where you're just really positive and really optimistic and good things are happening and then another good thing happened and a big good thing, it's yeah. And you ever have days where it doesn't seem like much is going on. It may be more important than we think how we act on that second day. In fact, it probably it is more important than we often think how we act on that second day. Um, people that get out of debt don't get out of debt because one time they decided, I'm going to pay off a whole bunch of bills today. They get out of debt because daily they start controlling their spending and daily they start paying off their debt. People that need to lose, you know, 100 pounds, they don't take a pill that burns away all the fat. They start making healthy decisions and exercising. And how we act, even when things aren't going well, we should probably challenge ourselves on because you're like trust. Then Jonathan's got a comment, but I'll make this one last point here. If at work, you tell the truth on Monday and you tell the truth on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday and next week and next month and next year and next year and next year, even on a day where not much else is happening, but you're being consistent, that's money in the bank for someday when people need to know what really happened and they look around and they look at you because they know that's the fellow whose yes is yes and his no is no. Uh, so realize that even on those days, just consistency is really important. John. Yeah, and um, another example of that, what you were saying, Scott, is in the time of history with Israel, after they've returned from captivity and they're supposed to be rebuilding the temple, there are a lot of hardships that they face and discouraging days that they face and enemies and, and you know, hard things to deal with that project of like, God needs us to rebuild his house, but there are a lot of obstacles that get in the way. And in Zechariah 4, there's uh, a helpful uh, encouragement that the Lord gives to those guys talking about how the foundations have been laid in the house, um, but the house still needs some building. Um, and the Lord basically says, you know, if you keep persevering, it will get done. And I really like verse 10, because Zechariah 4, verse 10, he says, whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. Um, and so the Lord's point is keep being consistent, like what you were saying, in the small things in each day. And the big things of the Lord will be accomplished uh, in that. That's a really important, I think, thing to do because people are, are really ready um, a lot of times to give their all and really do the big stuff. Like, you know, I want to be a servant of Christ. And so if somebody holds a gun to my head and tells me to deny Jesus, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to live for Jesus. But it's a lot harder 
to wake up every single day for the rest of your life and be kind to people <laughs> every day <laughs> and have a good attitude and and be a servant <laughs> you know it'd be much easier if someone threatened my life then i can stand up to that yeah. but the small things are important and valuable puts me in mind of another parable Jesus teaches in Mark 4, uh, 26 through 29, where he says the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. When the seed sprouts and grows, he knows not how. The earth produces by itself first a blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. It's probably a lot to, uh, to get from this, but um, if you're a farmer, uh, farming is pretty simple work. Uh, you you till, you plow, you plant the seed, and then you keep it clean. You keep hoeing, and uh, there's nothing really romantic about it. You just day in, day out. And so it says, you know, he rises night and day, night and day, night and day. And there's nothing really exciting about it. It's just a little work. And then there's nothing more hopeful than a field full of little green things growing in a row. And I think some days we get that. And it's like, wow, I, I see something. But then the next few weeks is just little green things getting bigger. It's like, well, well, that was exciting for a while. And there's nothing. But then you start to see, oh, that's like little baby fruit growing. There's, there's little baby grain. And, and so there are going to be times of intense excitement, I think, in our service to the Lord. Um, good things are happening. But a lot of it is just the simple toil. And it says there in Mark 4, verse 27, he knows not how. Like, I don't know how this stuff happens. I just know you keep doing what you're supposed to be doing. And it, it happens. It works. There you go. Um, the harvest will come. So I, that, that's a very encouraging parable for me, just in keeping up with the little things. Very good. That's a good spot to wind up on. Jonathan, want to close this out? Yeah, so thank you guys for your discussion. Thank you to our audience for your participation uh, and joining us today. If you want to submit any comments or questions that you have, to us uh, after the show, you can go to BibleQuest.tv uh, and just click on the Tuesday talk show in the top corner, uh, and you can enter your name, email address, and your question, and we'll be monitoring those and able to answer your questions on future shows. Or if you'd like to uh, listen to any of our recordings that we've had in the past, you can click on our podcast and recordings page, and it has both our shows and the shows from the Wednesday broadcast, um, but you can find all that on BibleQuest.tv. So that's all that we have for this week, and we will see you all next week, Lord willing.